0: Thank you.
1: Welcome to another edition of the TDN Writers Room podcast. My name is Bill Finley. I'm a correspondent for the TDN. I also co-host the Down the Stretch radio show on Sirius XM Radio.
2: My name is Randy Moss. I'm with uh, NBC Sports and also the Buyer Speed Figure team.
0: Zoe Kavman here with First Racing and XBTV. I, I've had this mic pretty much like right in my face, so hopefully you can hear me mm-hmm. a little bit better.
1: This week. We can hear you just fine, Zoe. Thanks so much. Um, want to remind you that this week and every week we are brought to you by our good friends at Keeneland. So guys, some interesting races. I mean, it's a, it's a uh, quiet time of the year. Post Breeders' Cup until the Triple Crown prep season gets going is probably the quietest time of all uh, on the calendar for horse racing. But we had some interesting races last week. And I think the one that everybody is most talking about is Nisos who won the Bob Hope Stakes out at Del Mar because you have an undefeated Bob Baffert horse who's running big figures. He ran a 96 winning his debut, came back and ran a 97 to win the Bob Hope Stakes last time out. So we look at him and think this is a good prospect, uh, Zoe. But uh, he's got a lot of questions to answer. Number one, can he do more than sprint? And also, he only uh, won a race which was a four-horse field. So I'm not saying that uh, he's not going to be a, a big deal next year so far as the road to the Triple Crown or whatnot. But I do think he needs to prove a little bit more.
0: I think he's pretty darn good. He was impressive just beating four others. Now, Carl Frey rode him in his debut, and he ran off and head by 10.5 with a 97, 96, like you mentioned. He came back and ran a 97. He had a perfect break on the outside with Pratt aboard him for the very first time. The thing that I really loved was Bob took the blinkers off, and we see him do this a lot. He puts the blinkers on. Now, the blinkers are cheaters. His blinkers that he uses are maybe an inch, so they're barely there anyway. He took them off because he wanted him to relax. He broke alertly with the field, dropped back under Flavian Pratt, and just had the perfect trip and drew off to win by as many as he wanted to. Now he got a 97 by a speed figure. The third highest for a two-year-old this year. When you consider that Fierceness got 105, his stablemate Prince of Monaco got 103. He's very, very good. And right now he looks like a steal. They paid 550000 for him at the OBS April two-year-old sale. Best of luck sold him. You know, I remember looking at him at the two-year-old sale and he's, he's pretty compact. Like he looks like a strong, good moving, I'm not going to say he looks like a sprinter, but he's got a bit more body than your average Nyquist does. And uh, man, I thought he was terrific in winning that race. And I have no question, Flavian Pratt thinks it as well, that he'll have no problem going two turns.
2: Yeah, he didn't look like it to me. The, the style difference is what struck me the most, first race to second race. If you remember... Back in his uh, his debut, he was in a maiden sprint in which there were three Bob Baffert runners, and he was the highest priced of the three in odds. He was six to one. And when the gates opened, he was sent, basically. He was ridden really aggressively the first part of the race to be up on the lead, and then we know what happened. He went head and head, and he pulled away. And then with the blinkers off the other day, um, he settles very nicely. Last at one point in that very short field, but uh in contact and I loved the way he just settled down and relaxed beautifully I loved his stride very efficient stride um you watch the head-on straight as a string coming down to the wire certainly looked visually like extra distance wouldn't be much of a problem and he's by Nyquist Um, so yeah I mean I think he checks a lot of the boxes Bob's obviously got a lot of two-year-old ammunition in his barn Probably uh, quite a few that we haven't even seen yet that are going to uh, come to the forefront, as they always do, in late winter and, uh, and early spring. Is he better than Mooth, who was the American Pharoah winner, grade one winner, and second in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile? Numbers-wise, you would say yes, uh, but... You know, there's a lot of time between now and, of course, when we get to the Triple Crown next year. That's always the big thing to watch. So many times you get these top two-year-olds, including horses in the Baffert barn, and they run so fast and they're so impressive in their two-year-old years, especially late in their two-year-old years. And then, you know, one thing or another happens and they don't get a chance to make the Triple Crown. So fingers crossed this horse can stay healthy and uh, we'll see how good he turns out to be. He looks pretty good to me right
1: now. Zoe, after he won the first time, you had this really cute story about Kyle Frey and the, the kid at the Clocker's Corner who was pleading with Baffert to put him on the horse. It was really sweet. I understand why, you know, the horse of this caliber, you want to go with the Flavian Prats of the world. But what happened there? I, I, um, I guess the the little, well, I don't remember if it was a, a young boy or okay. a young girl, but okay. I guess, I guess th- th- their sway was not as much as we might have thought.
0: Well, you know what? Kyle has ridden a few horses for Bob now. Mm-hmm. He came back and won with another one the very next week. So he's got paid. You know, we see it each and every time. Look at Trayden Van Dyke and Justify. I'm not comparing NISOs to Justify by any ways, means, shape, or form. But, you know, Drayden did a great job. He rode him. I think he won three races on him and he got taken off. Or Brokers made and he got taken off. It's just the way that it happens. And Kyle Frey will get his opportunity, and right now he's getting the opportunity to ride some horses for Bob, which he never had before. So Kyle's a good kid. He's not going to complain. He's going to take what he's given and cash that check at the end of the week. But one thing that I wanted to add was, is it just me? But it seems like Baffert's two-year-olds are coming to the fray later and later. Yeah. It used to be Del Mar was like, Baffert broke all the maidens in Del Mar. Now we're seeing it in the fall. Like we're in November, and we haven't seen his best two-year-old yet. Is is am I right?
2: It's, it seems that way to me. Oh, yeah, a, a, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, of course, he's still winning the Del Mar Futurity every year, but his best oh. his best <laughs> two-year-olds and three-year-olds seem to be
1: coming around a little bit later. Yeah. All right. Over the weekend at Aqueduct, we had another a race that, you know, generally we wouldn't really even talk about, the Hill Prince stakes. Big deal. What's the Hill Prince? But there's a horse in there for our friends from West Point Thoroughbreds. I, I, I think I know who they're going to promo in their uh, spot later on in the show because Integration, co-owned by West Point Thoroughbreds and Woodford Racing, an interesting horse got a very late start to his career as a three-year-old, didn't debut until August 12th, and at that was at Colonial Downs. And came and won a stake at Colonial. Then came back in the Hill Prince Stakes uh, under again a, a rider who you wouldn't necessarily think would be getting the A stock from Shug McGahee in Kendrick Carmouche. But again, I, I realize this isn't the sexiest division. But you know, is integration now going to take over for um, up to the mark? as the America's, you know, kind of star among uh, male turf horses on the grass. I think having just won the Hill Prince grade two, again, kind of let's, you know, let's see him do a little bit more. But I, I think that the um, take from most people was universal. This is a really good horse with a very bright future, Zoe.
0: Anytime you're three for three is is pretty darn good. And two of those are grade three races. He's won his combined three starts by 12 plus lengths. Kendrick rode him to perfection the other day. And Kendrick's a very, very good rider and is going to make a lot of money there at Aqueduct this winter. So he's three for three, owned by West Point and Woodford Thoroughbreds. We're going to talk about integration an awful lot. So take it away, Randy.
2: Yeah. I mean, you, obviously, we know you can be three for three and you can, and, you know, we can be like, eh, yeah, yeah, you know, he's a decent horse, three for three, well spotted, you know. But this is the kind of horse where you go back and you watch the videos of the three races and you're like, wow. I mean, it, he's got that uh, that turn of foot. He's got that kind of wow factor. He certainly impressed Kendrick Carmouche. Car- Carmouche was quoted uh, pretty effusively as saying, "In his 23 years of riding, this is the best horse that he's ever sat on." His uh, he now uh, uh, he's been penciled in by uh, Terry Finley with West Point and Shug uh for the uh, Pegasus World Cup Turf on January the 27th. They like the spacing between this past race. Two and a half months or so until the Pegasus World Cup. Uh, and, and one thing that, that Terry Finley pointed out, we're gonna be talking to Jimmy Jerkins a little bit later as our green group guest of the week. And, and we you know, we'll we'll hit on this topic with Jimmy as well. But Terry Finley, you know, had never had a real relationship professionally with Suge McGahee. And he was like, you know, that's what's so special about horse racing is that we have these Hall of Famers in their 70s and Wayne Lucas in his late 80s that are still coming to the barn every day, that are still doing it, that are still working hard, that have all this experience. You know, why not try to take advantage of that? And that was one of the reasons why integration wound up with Shoten McGeehee, and it's been uh, nothing but successful so far, obviously.
1: Yeah, we'll keep an eye on him. Now, this horse is not the best sprinter out there um he ran fifth in the breeders cup a matter of fact but we need a new award in horse racing for the coolest horse in training and if we can get them to have that award special eclipse award yeah three-year-old champion turf champion horse of the year and the coolest horse in horse racing it's a slam dunk how about the chosen fraud how could you not love this horse. He had won eight straight races before the Breeders' Cup, including the grade one uh, Bing Crosby, and and didn't run badly in the Breeders' Cup at all. He just wasn't quite as good enough to beat those kind of horses. Then he comes back two weeks later in the Cary Grant and wins that for the second straight year. He's won eight straight races versus California Breads. He's a five-year-old gelding. He seems as sound as they come. I think this is a horse we're going to be talking about for some time then how about the poor horse that keeps running second to him big city lights fourth straight start where he (laughs) finished second to the chosen Vron. so um i am advocating for a new award and we can call it we can even name it the chosen Vron award and we're going to give it each year to the most admirable coolest horse out there in horse racing
0: well, the part owners, John and Dorita Sondrika, would absolutely love that. So I'll, I'll be sure to tell them. In fact, I know that John's a big listener. So kudos to them for winning. I mean, who wouldn't want a five-year-old Calbred who's as sound as a pound? He's made over a million dollars. He shows up every single time. He's a grade one winner. It's not like he's just beaten Calbred. He is a legitimate grade one winner who Hopefully, we'll see for a couple more years. And he won in a gallop the other day. Really cool little horse. And uh, Cool Jack's done a fantastic job with him.
2: They've done right by the horse. When the horse has needed time, they've given the horse time. They've been very patient with him at times and it's and it's paid off uh they spotted him well you had to try the Breeders Cup sprint you're in Southern California Mm -hmm. horses won eight races in a row he's coming off a a stakes win against open company you got to give it a shot okay he was over his head in there as it turned out didn't give up tried hard this race pops up 14 days later and curl Jack was pointed to saying you know I was quoted as saying you know I I don't want to run it back that quickly in a perfect world, but there's really not much on the horizon for him immediately after this race. He came out of the Breeders' Cup well. I'm just going to put him back in here. And I mean, the horses is 10 out of 12 lifetime starts against California breads. So he dominates in a situation like that. Uh, really, really cool horse.
0: The TDN Writer's Room is brought to you by Keeneland. Make plans to attend the Keeneland January Horses of All Ages sale taking place from January the 8th to January the 11th. Keeneland January Horses of All Ages sale is noted for high-quality broodmare prospects and short yearlings and for being among the final opportunities for breeders to obtain stock as the breeding season nears. I'll get through this eventually. Supplemental entries are still being accepted. We'll be right back after this message from Keeneland. A Keeneland A horse will always be measured in hands.
3: Hands that see, that sense, that speak.
0: Hands that hold our sport to a higher standard. Not for our sake, but for theirs. For the love of the horse. For generations to come.
2: Each week on the TD and Riders Room, we bring you the fastest horse of the week, sponsored by the Fast Sires at Windstar Farm. This week's stallion, Global Campaign. Fast son of Curlin, who had 18 six-figure yearlings sell this year to some of the top names in the business and whose first two-year-olds will hit the track in 2024. Global Campaign won six of his ten starts on the track, including the Woodward Stakes, earned four triple-digit buyers, and pedigree-wise, he's a half-brother to Bolt Doro. That's Global Campaign standing at Windstar Farm. Fastest horse of the week this year, times three. We had a three-way tie, each with a 100 buyer speed figure. We've talked about the chosen Braun winning the Cary Grant on Del Mar on Saturday. The second one, also at Del Mar on Friday in an allowance race, Fort Bragg from the Bob Baffert stable won very impressively, finally back on a fast track. And he's now being pointed, we're told, for the Malibu Stakes at Santa Anita, and then aggregation on Sunday in an allowance race at Aqueduct. A one-mile allowance also earned a 100 buyer speed figure. Owner Seth Klarman had aggregation in the November Horses of Racing Age sale, pulled him from that sale, and he may be glad he did. Chad Brown, the trainer there of aggregation.
1: So last week we were debating about how much Rich Strike is going to sell for in the Keeneland November Horses of Racing Age sale. And well, we don't know because he was withdrawn uh, by owner Rick Dawson. You know, I don't know what to make of the situation now because, you know, we we don't have a whole lot of information here. Um the horse hasn't raced in ages. Um he is only in quote unquote light training. Nothing has been said about, you know, him coming back, when he's gonna come back, what their plans are now. All we know is um you know, this was we've seen Plan A, Plan B, Plan C. What is Plan D? I don't really know. I I think this is an easy horse to root for. I mean, some people, you know, Ah he was never should have won the Derby. He was eighty to one, and who the heck is Sonny Leone and all that kind of stuff? But I'd love to see him get back into uh, good form and 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 be a competitive against top class horses. But at this point. You know, there's just it's just a guessing game now. And, you know, uh, Rick Dawson uh, has said that, you know, he'll have more to say about this uh, in the weeks ahead. But um, anyways, we don't have to worry about how much he was going to sell for and uh, what's his future. Uh, Who knows?
0: I mean, there must not have been any offers from any stud deals. And I think Randy hit the nail on the head. They should have run him through and see if the Japanese wanted him. Maybe they didn't. Maybe they didn't get any bites at all. I've got no idea. He's obviously got a little bit of a soundness issue because he hasn't done anything for quite some time. Bill Mott pulled the plug on him. So I'm at a loss. I I don't know. Zoe, could they, it
1: could have been that they put a reserve on him and he was told behind the scenes, you're not getting this Could could That is that among the possibilities.
0: I mean, yes, maybe, but no one really knows what the reserve is until they go up there. So I, I don't know. I wish I had an answer.
2: So here's the way I look at it. Uh, as a Kentucky Derby winner, he's going to have a certain amount of residual value. Okay. And it's it's not like, you know, he didn't have any decent races at all after the Kentucky Derby. He probably should have won the Lucas Classic. Uh, he ran reasonably well in the Travers. I think he finished fourth. Uh, He ran a 106 buyer speed figure in the Breeders' Cup Classic behind Flightline. He was 11 lengths behind Flightline, uh, which is you know nothing to be ashamed of. And then the wheels fell off in his two subsequent races. He ran terribly. So if they retire him now on the basis of those two really, really bad races, he's pretty much, I think, at the bottom of what his residual value as a Kentucky Derby winner is going to be. But they signed up Bill Mott, uh, at least we were told. Uh, to train the horse if you made it back to the races. So unless the veterinarians are telling them that this horse has an injury that will preclude him ever racing again, uh, what's to lose? I mean, why not try to get him back in training, get him sound, give him to Bill Mott, let Mott train him, let Mott tell you what you've got. And I mean, we've seen what many, many, many times what Bill Mott can do with horses like this and who knows maybe Mott can get rich strike back to the races and and suddenly he's a grade one level horse and his that residual value he has right now uh goes much higher I mean why not at least give it a shot I don't know if that's what Rick Dawson is thinking he's not saying a whole lot about this uh but I mean what's to lose really if the horse can make it back to the races? he still has something to prove on the racetrack
1: in my opinion
0: didn't didn't Bill have him already or did he go to the farm
1: he's been at the farm he has never been under bill mott Shedro. okay he's been in light training at Margot farm and that that's really um you know as far as they've gotten i had uh, talked to rick a couple months ago and, and he had told me that, that right about now was the time he thought that was before anything ever came up about selling McEnland, that right about now would be the time um, late November or so that he would return to Mott's barn um, or come to Mott's barn. He was even talking that maybe they could make the Pegasus World Cup. Um, but obviously that that's out at, at this time. Um, Zoe, have you ever bet a twenty dollar superfecta? all with all with all with all with all of all or whatever it was um i haven't no one else in their right mind has so when that started to happen last wednesday Every, this is a crazy story and, and I don't, you know, know how much we can add to it, but, um, there was a glitch with FanDuel Racing, um, which is, uh, uh not, it's different than TVG. It's the FanDuel, uh, sports betting website that accepts horse racing bets, where if you bet, uh, uh like I said, that kind of, uh, box, uh, of, of any number of combinations, it would only take out of your account the, the base bet, the $20. Somebody figured this out. And to give you an example, some of the crazy things we saw, Monticello Raceway, uh, tiny little harness track in, in the Catskills that nobody even knows what's going on. In the sixth race on last Wednesday, the, the betting was $1.45 million on the Superfecta. Normally it's about eight or $9,000. Now, what happened is what always happens in these things, and it reminds me of the pick six fix back at Lone Star a few years ago. These weird things happen. The people who are doing this got greedy. Had they had just nickel and dimed their way, they could have made twenty five, thirty thousand dollars dollars and nobody ever would have caught them. But you're starting to bet $20 all, 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 all. <laughs> Anyways, um, uh, obviously they're not going to see any money from this, but uh this is about the strangest thing I've ever seen uh, when it comes to betting on a dreary Wednesday afternoon.
0: And, yeah, it was a pure glitch on the FanDuel website, not through TVG. Apparently, the person that spotted it put some screenshots up and word got out. Like, keep it yourself, dude. I mean, why are you screenshotting it? Just do it. What happened was I think it was one of the biggest alerts was a Seven Horse Field And he did a $0.10 Superfect box that should have been $84, and they charged him $0.10. Right. So he just kept going and going and going and screaming, hey, look at me, look at me. I'm like, no, keep your trap shut. Keep the money. I would have just milked it for all I could get. Sorry, (laughs) Fanjul, But, um, yeah, they managed to find the glitch. And uh, happy Christmas to the lucky people that spotted it and got rewarded.
2: When, uh, uh, when people discovered that glitch, that you could bet as many combinations as you wanted on any wager and you would still only be charged 50 cents or a dollar or two dollars or the base wager as if you were only playing one combination. I mean, they really tried to take advantage. And what's interesting to me going forward is the recourse, uh, if any, that FanDuel has against these betters. Right. I mean, they froze their accounts and 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 they can't you know, they can't deduct money. They can't withdraw money from their accounts. Uh, But if there's any other recourse, did they break a law? I mean, they they went online. They made a bet. It's not their fault that FanDuel only charged them 50 cents or a dollar. But uh, it's going to be interesting to see the the uh, the shakeout of all this legally as far as FanDuel
1: is concerned. Yeah, we could see some lawsuits coming out of this, no doubt. Uh Bobby Usery passed away last week and um he's uh as old as we all are and not quite Zoe, but me and Randy, he was even a little bit before my time. But um you know, he was of that era and I think he got a little bit overshadowed by Shoemaker and Hartack, but he was definitely a Hall of Fame caliber rider, deservedly so. He won the 67 Kentucky Derby with Plow- Proud Clarion and was the jockey board dancer's image in 68 of course, who got disqualified um, after that. And um, th- th- so kind of neat things about him. Um, his first official mount ever was uh, in the 1951 Thanksgiving Day Handicap, which he won the horse by the name of Reticule. Now, um, it-, it turns out that that's a little bit of uh, misleading because apparently he had been riding at Tracks, Randy uh, and Zoe in Texas, back when they didn't have legalized paramutual wagering and ridden uh, quite a bit of winners there. And, of course, um, he's known for the, his that unique riding style that he picked off at Aqueduct sometimes, Ussery's Alley, where we would take horses to the outside, almost outside rail of the track on the turn and then make a beeline down for the rail, essentially because, remember, the tracks are banked. So that he figured out that for uh, a period of time, even though he would be losing ground, uh, uh, being wide, he would actually be going downhill. Um, It was a very unique thing. And and the old timers back at Aqueduct always used to talk about Usury's Alley. But uh, one of the top jockeys of his era. And uh, he will be missed.
0: 88 years old. And yeah, Usury's Alley, the crown of the racetrack. And then he would just dip down. I I think I managed to find a video of it. It was pretty cool. I first met him. Probably six years ago at the Pegasus World Cup, I was on the backside running around doing interviews. It was when California Chrome and Arrogate were there. And I see this guy walking around with these bright yellow headphones on his head with aerials sticking up. He's in shorts. He's in a Hawaiian shirt. Big old belly on him. I'm like, who is? And he's got like four rings on each. I'm like, who is this guy? <laughs> so he came over and I started talking to him because I'm Bobby Ussery. I won two Kentucky Derbies and what a fantastic fellow he was, full of stories, full of life. He lived down there in South Florida and would walk the backside. He said, I could walk on the beach every day if I wanted to, but I love the horses. I love the backside. So he would go on his walk with his headphones on and walk the backside at Goldstream Park. Um, Really, truly fantastic guy.
1: Zoe, so with him saying, I won two Kentucky Derbies, did you take that to mean that in his mind, he won two Kentucky Derbies and that he won the race with Dancer's Image and the Kentucky Horse Racing Commission and the courts be damned?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I didn't even honestly realize until I left him. He showed me the rings. I interviewed him and he's wearing his Kentucky Derby. He wouldn't give it back. The Dancer's Image mm-hmm. won. He kept the trophy, kept the ring after the butte positive. He said, I won the race. It's their fault. They got DQ'd. So, yeah.
2: Yeah, The I, uh, when Dancer's Image so. won the race, uh, the, the the trainer, uh, the owner trainer, Peter Fuller, the owner, the jockey Bobby Ossery, got their trophies right away in the Winter circle celebration and all that. And then uh, it was two days later that Dancer's Image tested positive for Butte. During that two-day period, owner Peter Fuller from Boston had sent his trophy back to Churchill Downs to be engraved. And Churchill Downs kept it and wouldn't give it back because the test came back positive. Ussery had kept his trophy. And when he heard what happened to Peter Fuller's trophy, he said, I'm not not giving my trophy back. He said, as far as I'm concerned, when that official light went up on the tote board and people started getting paid, I won the Kentucky Derby on Dancer's Image. It it would have been his second Derby win in a row the year before, as you pointed out, Bill, was, uh, was Proud clarion. And he got the mound just two days before the race in some unusual circumstances. Uh, The horse was given very little chance. The trainer, Lloyd Boo Gentry, said, I wouldn't have bet on the horse. He was 30 to 1, and uh, yet Usury beat uh, beat Damascus and some other top horses in there uh, to pull the big upset. When Zoe said she met Bobby Usury on the backside at Gulfstream Park, I thought she was going to say she met him at Starbucks at Gulfstream Park because that's where I met him. That's where Bobby Usry would hold court every morning in Hallandale at that Starbucks in the shopping center right across the street from Gulfstream Park. He'd sit out there on the patio in his chair, and he'd have a bunch of his cronies all around, and they'd all be telling stories. Uh, he was quite the uh, quite the outgoing, interesting guy. He'll be missed. The TD and Riders Room brought to you by the Pennsylvania Horse Breeders Association. We may have another Pennsylvania-bred star in the making. It's two-year-old filly Eva's Magic, who is now a perfect three-for-three three after winning last Wednesday at Parks in an allowance by more than six lengths. She had broken her maiden by ten lengths and then came back two weeks after that to win the implied Stakes by four-and-a-quarter lengths. She is by Pennsylvania's own Smarty Jones. Meanwhile, the card... For this Wednesday night, at Penn National features three stakes races. The Shamrock Stakes for Phillies and Mares, Pennsylvania bred. And then next Tuesday, Parks features the Pennsylvania bred Nursery Stakes for two-year-olds. Both those races worth $100,000. And don't forget the last leg of that million-dollar two-year-old PA sired PA bred stallion series. December 27th, two $200,000 races at a mile and 70 yards. Colts and Phillies. Check the PABred.com pabread.com website to make sure your two-year-old is nominated or you can just email at info at pabread.com. PA Bread, Bread, I think we've built uh, a brand at this point. The
4: state of Pennsylvania has the best breeders program in the entire United States. Angel of Empire wins the Arkansas Derby and wins at Clear Caravel in the Breeders'
2: Cup Turf Sprint.
3: Pennsylvania and the PHBA have the best state-bred program in the country, bar none, the best breeder's awards and stallion awards in the country.
2: The TD and Writers' Room, also brought to you by The Green Group, a tax accounting and advisory firm specializing in the thoroughbred industry and designed to save you money on your taxes.
1: And we welcome in now the Green Group guest of the week. It's Jimmy Jerkins. You of course remember him from his many years as one of the top trainers on the New York circuit, and recently, uh, and it was not uh, his first choice, and we'll get into that. He moved his base of operation. He moved to Saudi Arabia to accept a job as a private trainer there. Uh, we welcome Jimmy now. Jimmy, I interviewed you back um, in the summer. Uh, when you just gotten there and you hadn't won a race yet, and you frankly seemed pretty discouraged, but lo and behold, you look at your record now um I believe this is up to date. You've won twelve races out of sixty starters that's uh twenty percent clip since uh october twenty eighth you've won six races. What's been the difference? Why are you now uh getting to the winter circle?
3: It's hard to say, but it uh, types track is so deep and slow, I think they needed uh, they needed a run over it to be honest with you and uh most of the horses ran back in Thfe better uh, each succeeding start, so uh, and uh, they weren't overrun. they weren't they weren't over raced in tyfe like some of the horses are and uh, and we came home to Riyadh with some fresh horses and they popped right away. So Jimmy,, well,
2: yeah, we all know over here there are differences between you know Saratoga and Belmont and Saratoga and Monmouth. My God, the differences between New York and Saudi Arabia have got to be just absolutely immense. What, what are the biggest differences in your profession, in doing what you do, where you are now compared to what it was like in New York?
3: Well, like you said, though, the track condition mostly. Um, the, the track here in Riyadh is it's beautiful. It's got, a, it's got a great bounce to it. And uh, I don't really, I'm not really sure of the composition of it, but it really has a nice bounce to it. It's much, much faster in the mornings, though, than it is in the afternoon races and, and night races. So you got to be kind of tricky there. You know, a horse might fool you with with his works in the morning, and then in the afternoon still get tired because it is much different for some reason. I guess from drying out. I guess from drying out from the sun all day has something to do with it. But uh, um, the horses are. I mean, the horses I have. I have nice horses. They're 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 tough. They've uh, most of them hold up to. They love to train, and you know they're they're quality horses, and they're starting to. They're starting to round to form, and uh, you know, seem to seem to be benefiting from training hard. And and uh, you don't see my uh, most of the most of the style here is to run, run, run. I see a lot of you see the same horses running every week. And um, really, I kind of, we took a kind of a different approach. We kind of wanted to see see what it would be like to send a little, kind of a fresher horse over there. I've been here a little over five months, like five and a half months, and uh, I think I only have one horse that's run that's run four times. So, uh, you know, we're trying to, we're trying to, well, I'm trying to meet it out a little bit and even it out the, the starts. So they stay a little fresher and they get, they get stronger instead of, instead of getting knocked out. But, uh, I'm, I, I get some resistance. They want to, uh, uh, the Prince's men want to run a little more sometimes than, than I do. And I, you know, sometimes I talk them out of it. And then other times I don't, it all depends on the situation, but, we all get along great. And it's, uh, Saoud and, and Saad have been great to me. And, uh, and my help is the, at the barn is just second to none. I just, it's so great to just come in and everybody be so loyal. I just, you know, they were a little skeptical about a lot of different methods and they, they didn't say anything, but I could tell the writers and everything were, were like, uh, well, what the hell is he doing? You know, but, uh, they're all on board now, and uh, everything's work. Everything's working out good. So uh, just just hope it continues. So that the help are all locals? Yeah. They're, well, they're, the the riders are the riders are Saudi, and uh, the grooms are are, are mixed. They're uh, Ethiopians, Moroccans, and uh, Indians, and uh, Pakistanis, and uh, you know, and they're they're all they're all there to work, and they work seven days a week, and uh, they do a great job, and they got to walk. They got to walk their horses to the track every day it's good 20-25 minutes away so uh and uh, there's two horses per groom and they there's no there's no such thing as a hot walker here if i see a guy having trouble uh you know washing his horse or managing his horse when he takes the tack off him i'll run over there and hold him with you know when you get a nasty one but uh, they don't really they kind of frown on it They, they kind of want you to leave them alone with their horses and most of the time, it works out well. Like I, I grabbed the horse the other day, and he, he bit me, and then kicked him. So I said, "You know, you're on your own here." <laughs> so, it's, 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 it's different. It's different that way. But they, they love their horses. I've never seen one get mad at one. It's unbelievable. And I could see it. I could see a lot of instances where you, you know, boy, this, this, this guy needs a, this guy needs, a, needs a maybe a little kick in the belly, maybe. But they never, they never do it. It's great to see. They really they love the horses and they, they love the job. And uh, I'm very happy with it.
0: So, Jimmy, great to see you. What, what have been the biggest challenges for you when you first went over there to have to adapt to? I mean, climate, language, meters as opposed to furlongs. I mean, I'm drinking a cup of tea. Show us what you're drinking right now. take <laughs> What are we drinking there, Jimmy? Non-alcoholic red wine.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, 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 (laughs) there you are. But, but yeah, like you said, the language barrier was tough and uh, just, just learning the horses basically. I didn't, I was, I was kind of, I was kind of upset with the amount of information I got when I got here. You know, you don't have past performances to look up. You don't have, even when you're running a race, you you don't know who the speed of the race is unless you remember from last time. Is not uh, there isn't any there isn't really any documentation of of what's going on. So it's I it's, like I said now now I know a lot of the horses by memory and if they have speed or not. So uh, a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of pace setters are used here for that reason because while well, we want to we want to ensure a decent pace for our other horse. And sometimes you say, Well, there's gotta be there's gotta be a sufficient pace in here. I don't think that's necessary. You know, we go back and forth and make a decision. But uh that that's the thing that took me a while to get going was the lack of information and I couldn't really I couldn't really gauge the horses uh, good enough to 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 know where they to know where they should run. There's a there's a rating system here. Uh there's no one other than, two other ends, three other ends, dropping a horse down. There's none of that. You um they drop your horse down. Let's put it that way. If your horse runs bad a couple of times, his rating will drop, and then you look for a race where the where the rating's lower. But that takes a good while, and you know, of course, no one wants to do that. So you don't have to worry about your owners wanting to cash a bet, Jimmy. No, <laughs> no, unless they uh, unless there's something going on on the side. I don't know, but uh, it's, it's it's that's that's strange too. I mean, you just could just go over there in the races. There's, there's people at the races, and it's. Uh, you know, there's no, there's no no hustle and bustle of who's betting on who or nothing. It's just it's just racing. It's it's strange, but it's kind of good. And uh, and the horses, I'll tell you, the horses are getting better and better here. You can't believe the pedigrees you see. There's a horse. He hasn't been running any good, but there's a horse here by Warfront out of Lady Eli. His name is H, HMS Endeavour, and he has he's been running terrible, but he's been on it's been all dirt. So I guess I guess they're just waiting for the turf to open up. <laughs> But uh, but a horse just won here the other day uh, that Brittany Russell had in the States yes. by Justify out of a mare I had for Peter Blum named Spark. His name was Rebellious Stage. He was bought for 200000 by King Abdullah, King Abdulaziz, who's, they call it the, the white stable. His silks are white with a, a red stripe and a green helmet. And he's very, very strong this year, especially with the with the young horses, and there's a lot of I don't know how he did. But he came up with a lot of there's a lot of American pedigrees, and they're they're cleaning up here.
1: Mm-hmm. Jimmy, let's go back a few years ago, and you were a top New York trainer. You had a—you obviously, everyone knows who your father was—a so a pe- person that most people would describe as a genius. You were doing well, winning races. Lo and behold, the last couple of years before you left for Saudi Arabia, you yourself admitted th- this: this you—you you weren't making a living. You couldn't keep your head above water. Uh, you were winning very few races a year. What happened? How did you go from from the Jimmy Jerkins of maybe 1990 to the Jimmy Jerkin or 1995 to the Jimmy Jerkins of, say, 2020, 20,
3: 2021? I don't know. It's really it's really hard to say, uh, you know, in, in, in that capacity how it happened that bad. I mean, uh, you know, I, I I could have done things different. I wasn't. Uh, well, the thing I think that hurt me the most was when things were really, really good, uh, even around the time we, we were we had those. F- couple of Travers wins back to back. I had a chance to expand pretty good. Owners came to me and I kind of, I didn't really take and and go with it. I didn't want to, I didn't want to get big to where I couldn't do the job that I, i like to do. And I think, I think in the long run that hurt me. I probably should have done whatever it took to get the extra horses and, and keep it going. Cause, uh, boy, I'll tell you, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a numbers game now, especially the way horses are. They're so disposable. And, uh, you know you gotta I, now I understand why these guys have so many horses and they you know they they spread themselves thin you know they might lose a good horse that they haven't seen in a while that's that's in one of their other stables and stuff like that but uh and that that never that kind of thing never appealed to me, but you know I, I, now looking back on it it looks like uh looks like the, that's the way you have to look at the game you get the get the horses in the barn and that's the that's the bottom line get the horses in the barn.
2: So we've we've talked about this periodically <clears throat> on this podcast, Jimmy, that horse racing is obviously one of the few sports where you have people that are in the Hall of Fame that are still competing actively day-to-day in the sport. But yet training horses would seem to be, uh, you would seem to have so much more of an advantage with experience. And yet you would see all sorts of trainers, yourself included, who have all this experience and yet still struggle uh, to get the same level of horses that someone with much much less experience would have? Um, did, how frustrating was that, knowing that you had all of this experience and and it didn't seem
3: to matter? It's it's incredibly frustrating. It's you know, you just keeps you up at night. You just uh, God, why? I certainly had. I mean, I I think I still have a twenty percent lifetime. Lifetime winning record, and uh, I mean we've only had forty-two hundred starts lifetime, and I don't think anybody. I mean, for the amount of starts, has one as many grade ones and big races that I that that I've had. But um, I I don't know. I really don't know the answer, and that's that's why it just it, it was frustrated me, and I just I couldn't. Uh, I actually I came here. Me and Shirley came here in April to interview for the job, and. The second I landed in Saudi Arabia, and I, I looked out the window. I said, "Boy, this isn't for me." And uh, it, it, <laughs> the, land, the landscape—it looks like it looks it looks like you're on the moon, and uh, and the people and I and I—I got to admit though, I was happy with the condition of the horses, and they were they they said we got good horses, and I took their word for it. And they looked apart the too. And then, but I still got on the plane, and I, I was on the plane coming home thinking I wasn't gonna do it and till I got back to my barn at Belmont and I looked down the shed row and I saw basically nothing. And I saw <clears throat> I didn't see any prospects really in the near future. And then I decided I sat with my wife at home and I said, you know, I'm gonna go I'm gonna go do it.
0: Well well Jimmy, it seems like success is coming to you now that you're back in Ridia. I know initially you said the plan was stay for a couple of years and then maybe bring some horses back with you back to U.S. soil. What do those plans look like now? It seems like you're quite settled there right now, at least in Rydia.
3: Yeah, I mean, I just I I just said for the two years because that was what my contract was. And that's uh, we just left it at that. You know, of course, I didn't know the fact that things are going good makes it makes a big difference of course but things have to develop we'll see how it develops till till march well we've got to go past there i have got a two year contract i'll come back next year but it looks like there's uh look like there's there's good horses coming up you know we bought a lot of horses in, tatter, in tattersalls and uh you know there isn't a big american influx there uh, they they like to they like to buy english and i don't which I'm not. I'm not that familiar with the bloodlines, but uh, I'm I'm learning them. You know, I'm learning, I'm learning the who the sprinter types are and who the distance horses are, and you know, you just got to hope. You, you know, they're but they're all they all got uh, they're all running on turf. So you know, you just got to when they come here, you just got to hope they take to the dirt. <laughs> That's the biggest thing. So we've had a couple that just didn't pan out.
0: Are you starting to enjoy it now? Now that you have your feet underneath you, Shirley's with you. Riyadh really seems like a little bit more of a community based bit bit more fun over there is it is it starting to be fun Jimmy
3: Yes yeah it is and it's a, it's, it's a lot more fun in Riyadh types are really it's it's a off the beaten path it's it's nice the weather's very nice it's in the mountains and uh it, it's so hot in in Riyadh during August that you it, it's you can't it's unbearable you can't it's, you can't have racing here and in Taif, it gets very hot in the, in the, in the middle of the day. But as soon as the sun goes down, it's, it's very pleasant and uh, the weather's, the very weather's very pleasant. But it's, it's, it's an old, it's an old, uh, it's an old town. It's kind of set in its ways. It's a lot stricter, uh, in its ways than, than Riyadh is. And it's, it's basically, for me, it's basically all horses and that's it, you know, which is, which is okay. I mean, go to bed and, get something to eat, go to bed and get up and take care of the horses is pretty much what type was like, but it's not much different in Riyadh to be honest with you, but at least if you want to do something, you can, you know.
1: (laughs) Jimmy, how many horses do you have? And and do you have any that we'll see on the Saudi cup card?
3: We have about 55 and we should have quite a few in the uh, 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 Saudi cup days. You know, we, we're going to, we have, we have a lot of open horses and a lot of cup, cup style horses um like i said a lot of them are a lot of them are up in age we have some that have uh that are like 5 and 6 and 7 you know we're a little light on the 3 year olds this year it wasn't by wasn't by design but it's uh, it's just unfortunately they had to buy a couple of 3 year olds at Tattersalls uh one by Dubawi who i haven't run yet his name is Tabaretta who i really really like and there's a race for straight three year olds, which is, you don't see much in the program this late in the year. One for straight three year olds going 1600 meters in another three weeks that I'm looking to run him in and then hope he runs big and takes off from there. But, uh, there's a lot of very useful horses and there's a, we got a lot of horses that are really, uh, really rounded into form. So with any luck, we should have, we should be busy Saudi week.
2: Well, Jimmy, if you really like one of your horses on Saudi week and you want to get down, uh, just get in touch with us and we'll figure out how to get a bed down for you. All
3: right. Great. Thanks. Appreciate it
1: well Jimmy I want to thank you so much for your time it's good to see that big smile on your faces obviously uh, you've figured Saudi Arabian racing out and uh, the Jimmy Jerkins that we know is that steady 20% trainer uh, it looks like he's back in Saudi Arabia thanks so much for spending some time with us here on the uh, TDN Riders Room podcast and continued success in Saudi Arabia
3: I appreciate it Bill and everybody else it was nice to be on nice to see some familiar faces
2: Does jimmy jerkins have to file an income tax return in saudi arabia i think think he probably does so as good you know the reach of the united states government goes everywhere so as the green group guest of the week jimmy will receive a free one-hour tax consultation with lynn green and the green group for more information on how the green group can save you taxes even if you may happen to be living in saudi arabia right now visit www.greenco.com
4: are you paying too much in taxes The Green Group can help. There's a reason the most successful owners, breeders, and horsemen select the Green Group as their tax advisors. They save you money and share successful strategies. Over the past 40 years, the Green Group founder, Len Green, has owned and bred some of the best racehorses in the history of the sport. Like Eclipse award-winning champions, Jaywalk and Wonder Wheel. His DJ stable competes at the highest level and has received the game's most prestigious honors. Len Green's in-depth, hands-on industry knowledge combined with cutting-edge tax-saving strategies has produced positive results for his clientele and has made The Green Group the top-rated accounting and tax firm in the thoroughbred business. For a confidential and complimentary consultation, contact us at 732-634-5100 or visit our website at www.greenco.com. The Green Group, proven strategies to save you taxes. Quality Road, proving lane's ends, tried and true stallion making tradition, a tradition that leads to success for our partners and our stallions. Quality Road has sired multiple Eclipse Award and Grade 1 winners, including champion 2-year-old Colt Corniche, champion 2-year-old Philly Caledonia Road, champion 3-year-old Philly Abel Tasman, and multiple Grade 1 winner City of Light. He's a leader of his generation. Quality Road, a stallion that stands above the rest.
0: The TDN Writers' Room is brought to you by Lane's End. The Lane's End Stallion of the Week is Quality Road, the sire of the exciting three-year-old integration. I told you we'd be talking about him a lot today. He was dominant in winning Saturday's Grade Two Hill Print Stakes at Aqueduct. Integration is now three for three, including a win in the Grade Three Virginia Derby and may point next to the Pegasus World Cup turf In January, according to his trainer, Shug McGahee, Quality Road is the sire of 15 grade one winners and three champions. He stands for a mere 200,000 at Lane's End.
1: Quality Road's initial trainer, Jimmy Churkins. Yes. Yes. Before um, he was uh, taken away from him, and I'm sure something that didn't make Jimmy too happy and given to Todd Pletcher. Okay, so um, it's the Thanksgiving weekend. A lot of big races being run. We've got the PPs in for some of them. I think the ones that we should focus in on were some of the best races are at Churchill. We're on Friday. Uh, they had the Mrs. Revere. And the big race on the card is the Clark Stakes. Uh, recently downgraded to a two, 600,000. Um, it looks to me like the kind of race where uh, you don't have any stars in here right now. But you got a couple of horses that really could I think a, start making a name for themselves and you know as we're looking forward to who's going to be the better horses of 2024 uh, might be somebody to come out of this race. First Mission well, won the Lexington Stakes and then had a long layoff for Brad Cox. Came back in October at Keeneland and won uh, an allowance race there. Uh, looks like he'll be the favorite. Gasoline for Todd Pletcher. Um, this will be his stakes debut but his buyer numbers have really been moving up. He ran a 99 last time out. Um, you know horses that fit in to that kind of category. Um, I'll go with First Mission for Brad Cox. Um, you also have Straight Arrow, who a uh, New York bred who won the Empire Classic. This will be his first uh, try against Open Company Stakes Runner. So uh, decent race. Uh, no one that really jumps off the page, Zoe, but uh, I think maybe we'll have someone out of this race we might be talking about next week.
0: Yeah, I mean, First Mission is the obvious one that jumps off the page. He's a three-year-old here. He's won three of four lifetime starts for trainer Brad Cox. He'll get Saez. He's on a three-race win streak, so why not first mission? But I'm rather partial to straight arrow, especially for the fact that he'll get Florent Giroux. Should have a front-running trip up there. And Mike Dini is probably one of the most underrated horsemen that you'll have out there. He gets these horses, he doesn't have a big stable, he ships them around, and he wins, more importantly. Just a good guy and a great horseman. So, rooting on Mike Dini in straight arrow
2: i'm going to take a shot with the horse that uh that bill mentioned from the pletcher barn making a stakes debut gasoline i mean i know you look at some of these horses like first mission and others who have all sorts of graded stakes experience and gasoline's run 11 times and this will be his very first stakes effort but it looks to me like in his last couple of races they've uh, performed a little bit of a strategic change in the way gasoline is being ridden he'd been up on the pace in most of his recent races and then decided to take him back a little bit he's two for two with that new running style including a big five length win last time over giant game with that 99 buyer so five to one in the morning line top buyer speed figure that's good enough for me I'll take uh, I'll take gasoline in that spot
1: Saturday at Churchill is that all two? this is a fun card I look forward to this every uh year that all two-year-old racing the entire card including three stakes and um i want to start off with the one um the ed brown stakes it's six and a half furlongs normally again this is probably a race we wouldn't spend much time on but we have the churchill downs version of Nisos in here the horse that we were talked about at the beginning of the show and that's booth You're trained by steve asmussen broke his maiden by five and three-quarter lengths and got a 96 buyer hasn't uh that was on October 7th at Keeneland comes back here at six and a half furlongs can he pull a nice house and go two for two and run another high 90s buyer well it certainly would seem to be within the realm of possibility one a difference if you know uh if you're going to compare these two horses first of all Booth hasn't won that second race yet but he's by my Tolley. so there would be legitimate questions about uh, whether or not his career is going to be as a sprinter, nothing wrong with that. Steve Asmussen has won a ton of money for his owners with some very fast sprinters. Maybe Booth will be one of his three-year-old stars of next year.
0: Oh, I don't see why not. Matoli's had all kinds of runners. In fact, they've been running very well long as well, which is surprising. They've got a good bit of leg on him. This one cost two hundred and twenty-five thousand. If anyone can stretch a horse by Matoli out, it's going to be the trainer of Matoli, and that's Steve Asmussen. He was terrific breaking his maiden there at Keeneland. Nash came back to win. He gets a good, advantageous draw on the outside. And, hey, he already beat 10 others in his maiden race. He was drawn 6 of 11, and he drew off and won like a good thing. It's definitely his race to lose.
2: On Sunday in a maiden race at Churchill Downs, a six-furlong maiden race, a TDN Rising Star was unveiled, which happened to be a horse called Carbone, who is trained by Steve Asmussen, owned by the same ownership, uh, Bill Mottoli. and Corinne Hileypro, and a son of Matole. So, yeah, Matole and Asmussen have uh, really been clicking on all cylinders here lately. So, uh, yeah, this we'll see if it continues
1: all right the uh two graded stakes races on the card one for phillies the golden rod that's the tenth race uh this race came up pretty tough um again there's some horses in here that uh you, you know need to move up and prove that they can win at the next level central avenue was second behind just fyi in the frisette nothing wrong with that knowing but just fyi of course came back to win the breeders cup juvenile phillies west sunset is coming out of a big blowout win in the rags to riches stakes owned by gary and mary west Trained by Brad Cox by their uh, by West Coast a homebred horse I like though is Torpedo Anna trained by Ken McPeak see Randy is nodding in agreement um, this horse last time out I don't know who uh, she beat but she just crushed the horses in that race allowance race at Churchill on November 10th coming back in for modern standards a little bit quick in 15 days. That was a huge win. And, you know, it goes a little bit unnoticed um, and doesn't quite get the credit he deserves. This horse costs $40,000 at the sales. Kenny McPeak has yeah. turned a lot of horses that cost under six figures into, you know, big-time stars. Is this another one? Uh, we'll find out on uh, uh, Saturday at Churchill. But um, this is a good race. I'm looking forward to it. We're going to talk about the Kentucky Jockey Club uh, afterwards. This is this, The Philly race is the best race of the day. It's a much better race than the Colt
0: race. Well, I think you hit the big three on the head there, Central Avenue, West Sunset, and Torpedo, Anna. And Kenny McPeak gets plenty of praise for picking out cheaper horses and winning with them. He does a very good job indeed. This really didn't get the best of trips last time, and she just ran off and hid, winning by nine under Hernandez, who rides back. She's drawn on the outside. Central Avenue will be flying under the radar just a little bit. She got a horrible trip last time against just FYI in the grade one for Z. So don't discount her, but those are definitely the top three that you need.
2: Yeah, no fig for Central Avenue. So I'm tossing Central Avenue. Um, <laughs> West Sunset, yeah. I mean, she got a rags to riches win by six and three quarters lengths trained by Brad Cox but it was on a sloppy racetrack an uncontested early lead that she's probably not going to get here. That's the kind of horse that you typically try to take a a shot against if you're betting. So I like an exact in here. I like Forpedo Anna, Bill's horse, uh, with a horse called Intricate from the number two post position. Brendan Walsh, son of Gunrunner, uh, looked visually very impressive in his maiden win, uh, tracking a very slow pace at a mile and a sixteenth at Keeneland. A lot of times, if they're going a really slow pace, it's hard to visually make a huge move into very slow fractions as they're speeding up. But this horse did it and uh, was very eye-catching, that move that he made, Uh, drew off and won nicely. So that's my goldenrod exacto, Bill, torpedo Anna and intricate. Back and forth, back
1: and forth there you go the kentucky jockey club super saver won this in 2009 went on to win uh the kentucky derby like i said uh not uh this uh, strongest group um and maybe next week on the west point uh, uh segment where we talk about uh their success we might be talking about a horse name of stretch ride trained by dale romans is two for two Won at keeneland last time out in a lounge race with an 87 buyer a clear favorite and and i hate to say this somebody help me please with the pronunciation of the rider's last name, Martin Quan Chuan. Any Bazoe, anybody? C-H-U-A-N. Um, he's winning 24% of the meet, but he's only had 20 winners on the year. So, and this horse um, originally sold for 5 thousand dollars but i believe was then pinhooked and sold overseas if i'm correct about that we'll have to, uh, uh yeah that this is definitely the horse uh that that uh i think was sold it at, at one of the european sales after the five thousand dollar sale at phasic tipped in october but a uh, originally sold for five thousand and would be the favorite the gray two for four hundred thousand. Um, how about awesome road two from Brad Cox? Um, Look very good winning his maiden. I have no idea what happened to him in the Breeders' uh, Futurity where he ran up the track. If you can draw a line through that race, uh, he certainly got a chance, Zoe.
0: Oh yeah, he definitely got a shot for for Brad Cox. There definitely put a line through that. I'm not, really not sure what happened. Um, that day, we all know locks was much the best in there, but I'm, I'm with you. And perhaps this could be Del Roman's coming out party. He's been quiet of late, but every so often he pops up with a really, really good horse indeed. So this is kind of his MO, uh, horse is perfect. Two for two wasn't favored last time, but likely will be favored off of that big 87 bias speed figure. So he most certainly is the one to beat in here.
2: You guys are both just drawing a line through that last race of Awesome Road. Just draw a line through it. I I hate it when trainers say that. I'm going to draw a line through that. (laughs) As if it never happened, right? Um, Look, I I think stretch rides the horse to beat. But the interesting thing about Awesome Road is that uh, we did the Breeders' Futurity on NBC. And uh, we talked to Brad Cox before the race. And he had, of course, he had uh, Timberlake. Both of them in Kentucky and sent Timberlake to New York because he thought he would be a better one turn horse to run in the Champagne and kept Awesome Road to run two turns in the Breeders' Futurity at Keeneland. And Brad is, it was very high on Awesome Road. And I asked him point blank, said, How good is Awesome Road? He said, Very good. So I thought, wow. And so he's, you know, he's bet down to three to one in the Breeders' Futurity and, and never lifts his feet and he runs terribly. Uh, I didn't see any excuses in the running. Uh, apologies. I meant to reach out to Brad and ask him if the horse did come up with any excuses, but I never quite got around to that. If he does have a legitimate excuse for that last race, or if he got up on the wrong side of the stall and you really can just draw a line through it as if it never, ever happened, uh, then he may be the best horse in the race. But uh, in the meantime, I think Stretch Ride is the horse to beat
0: the TDN Writers Room is brought to you by XBTV. This week's work of the week is Hajazi. He cost 3.55 million as a two-year-old and he came back to work four furlongs in 49 and four for Bob Baffert on Friday. Now he took the summer off. He came back with a five and a half l- length win in a Santa Anita allowance race on November the 3rd and now heads for the Malibu Stakes on opening day, December the 26th at Santa Anita, where his main competition will actually be from his own stable. Baffert also plans to run Speedboat Beach and Fort Bragg, an impressive allowance winner at Del Mar this weekend. We'll be right back after this message from XBTV.
4: All the thrills. Fraction of the Bills. Experience the power of the partnership. Change your life, make new friends, and compete at the highest level of thoroughbred racing. West Point Thoroughbreds, the gold standard in racing partnerships. Visit westpointtv.com.
2: The TD and writers room brought to you by West Point Thoroughbreds. So we called it earlier in the program. Bill called it as well. We were going to be talking a lot about integration because West Point Thoroughbreds is the co-owner of integration who we've already told you and showed you uh wrapped up his three-year-old season uh in a big way with that one in the hill print stakes now a perfect three for three and gave the West Point partners plenty of reason to be excited for what's to come in 2024 as he's being tentatively pointed if all goes well between now and then by West Point and shook McGahee for the Jan 27 Pegasus World Cup turf between now and then there is plenty left on the table for West Point in 2023. More than a dozen horses scheduled to run over the Thanksgiving holiday weekend, most of them at Churchill Downs, Giant Game in the Clark, Stretch Ride, who Bill just pointed out, running in the Kentucky Jockey Club, and the combo of Northern Invader and Ohana Honor in the Commonwealth Turf. Are you interested in joining a West Point partnership, which can vault you into the world of instant camaraderie? To learn more, visit West Point TV
1: com all right that's a wrap on this week's show i want to thank my partners randy moss and zoe cabman our green group guests of the week jimmy jerkins our producers katie petruniak and anthony laraca our editors alia laraca and nathan wilkinson have a great thanksgiving everybody i'll talk to you next week